Hello and welcome to episode seven of the season. We're back again. It's been a while. Welcome back to the podcast, Dan. Thanks, Ollie. Yeah, good to be here. Cheers, mate. Chris, welcome back. Thanks very much. Missed the last one, so looking forward to the discussion tonight. And welcome back on the podcast, Mike. Thanks, Ollie. Yeah, um, bit of a strange one for me tonight. I think it's uh, it's fairly appropriate that we're all gathered on Streamyard to be to be recording this together. Um, tomorrow, the tenth is. One year since uh, my brother, Glyn, uh, one of the founders of the podcast, along with you, Ollie, um, and he passed away from bowel cancer. So um, it's nice that we can all come together and continue to moan about the town. And if you, Chris, find some find some green shoots in his honour, um, you know, and I just I just sort of want to say really to, to everybody, uh, anybody listening, really, who's reached out with a nice message over the past year or who's continued to listen to the podcast um with the changes in structure and the changes in format a little bit kind of stuck with us as we found our feet again you know i want to thank them because this podcast meant a huge amount to glenn you know he, he got so much out of it. he loved doing it with you ollie and um it's been a real pleasure to step up um you know in his shoes really for me i think and chris and dan to help me carry it on so um you know long may we continue but yeah just sort of remembering glenn one year on and um how much missed he is still i think yeah i miss i miss glenn so much and i I used him so much of a kind of sounding board of kind of how angry I should be or how angry I should be. Um, I used to use a great sounding board. Um, so, yeah, it's really great that we're doing a podcast. It's obviously really sad. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, you know, Glenn was always joking and nothing's changed. <laughs> we're still shit. <laughs> I was just having a conversation this afternoon with my folks and we were saying Glenn would have had, he would have had enough on his plate just moaning about the output of the club shop, never mind what's going on on the pitch. So, um, he wouldn't have been short of content anyway. So, um, yeah, he, he's much missed. And I, I think we'll all try and sum it up like he would have. But, he, you know, he had his own unique style and everything, didn't he? Yeah, no, he did. I mean, he loved a rumour as well. So we're definitely carrying his honour on there as well. Um, and, yeah, it's great to have um, all the four of us on the podcast um, this evening as well to to go through. We've Motivation to do a podcast has been, I say, low. Um, someone did say, do you only do a podcast when you win? Um, I saw on Blue and Amber because I was just checking and any messages or anything like that. And, well, if we did a podcast when we won, um, I guess maybe in some ways it's true because we recently won a game, won a game last Saturday. But, you know, wins are a few and far between. So last time, since we did the last podcast, we've played five league games, one FA Cup game. Um, we'll go through them very, very light touch as we do these days, um, talk about some themes, have a bit of a discussion, uh, maybe wind Chris up. Um, and then um, get on to have a bit of discussion about some um, a rumour that's um, going around at the moment. And then maybe just have a quick look ahead because November is a very busy month. There's a lot of games coming up. Um, winnable? Not sure. Um, but yeah, some interesting games coming up. So with no further ado, let's jump into it. Away eventually. Off it goes to Holt. He does really well. This is Humphrey. It's 2-0 Shrewsbury Town. Well, Humphrey made the first for Holt. So last five games, we've... Um, we we drew with Cambridge. Um, Perry scored. Um, we beat Derby at home with an own goal. Well, I think we'll all probably agree that was a bit harsh. For me, definitely hit Bayliss's hip <laughs> went in the back of the net. Um, so I think that's a bit harsh on Bayliss there. To be fair, um, and then um, that's it. No more no more league goals. Um, lost to Barnsley away three 0 Lost to Wigan two um, 0 Then lost to Bolton um, on Tuesday night at home as well. And so that's three games now in the league about a goal. Um, maybe we were saving all of our goals for the FA Cup. We have scored. If you if you count um, League One and and the and the FA Cup together, we scored nearly thirty percent of our goals this season in one game. 
and that game was um, Colchester um, on Saturday. Um, and I have to be honest, two things. One, I just could not be bothered to go to Colchester, so I decided to spend time with my family and my son, my wife. Uh, and then I had no idea we were playing Bolton on Tuesday night. That is how disengaged I am with the, the club yeah. at the moment and the football. That I had the only, I only, only realised I was listening to BBC Shropshire following the, the football um, on on the radio, and he mentioned Tuesday night. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't actually know we were playing. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't know what you what you think at the moment, Micah, for those few games. Obviously, got a win against Derby, which is a positive, and we'll talk about that. But not a good run of results, and it's um, it's a bit bleak. Yeah, I was going to echo your statement, really. I, I hands up, didn't go Tuesday night. Cold, I'd had a long day at work, it's been a mad week, and I, there just wasn't enough drawing me to go down there. I've got a season ticket, I've got a car park pass. There's no excuses apart from I just couldn't bring myself to go down there and watch that football. Um, it was It's a use of my of my energy, of my resources, and I thought it better spent at home, as you say, with family doing, doing the things that needed to get done. So it's a pretty stark um, reflection of the club at the moment that to what you would say a pretty committed fans myself and Ollie just couldn't be asked to go. Maybe it's a reflection on us as fans. I don't know whether we're a bit fair weather, but I'd like to think after best part of 20 odd years supporting the town home in a way that that's not the case. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think that run of form, you know, the results that you just run through there, they're, they're kind of um, good evidence of, of why we feel like that, you know, no goals really to speak of. No, I think, you know, we might dig into it a bit more game by game, but, no real performances to get you out your seat. You know, Derby aside, which was, I think, looking like a blip. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no further along than I was in the last few pods that we've had where, you know, it just, it does, there just doesn't seem to be anything there really for me to, to put my arm around and give a big cuddle to. I feel a little bit distant from it all. Um, but, I, you know, I think maybe Dan might have a different opinion on that. He's frowning at me a little bit. Oh, no, that's just my natural look. Sorry, it's, 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 it's not, actually nothing personal, Mike. Um, um, I, I did see it a bit differently, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, first up, I'm, I'm not going to write off the Derby performance. I thought we were good. And um, I thought we, we played with the tempo and we played with the, the verve that we, we we haven't shown much. So, I mean, that that's, doesn't mean that it forgives like 100 negative performances that may follow, but I thought we were good. I thought for an hour on Tuesday, or 45 minutes at least, we were good. I thought the first off was actually, it it had a bit more about it. I mean, there is one major problem, and that's putting the bloody thing in the onion bag. I mean, it is a a monstrously big issue, and and I could say plenty about that too. But I I thought against, you know, a side that's third in the league, um, for the first half at least, we were were very, very much on an even keel with them. And the big issue was a clangor by the goddamn keeper. If Marco Morosi hadn't conceded that goal, it'd have been nil-nil. Now, you might say, well, yeah, it'd have been nil-nil. But, I mean, it's a point against a team that want to be in the top two. So, I didn't think Tuesday was, was that bad um, in the sense that, you know, we, we looked like we were competitive. And linked in with that, Jordan Shipley's back. And it's a, that's a big deal because it changes the way we play and it changes the shape of the team. And we saw it against Colchester. We certainly saw it for a bit against Bolton. And I really hope we've we got the biggest game of the season coming up on Saturday. And that's not just because I live in Berkshire, very close to Reading. Uh, we got the biggest game of the season because Reading haven't won at home, haven't won away for 360 f- whatever it is days. If they don't win at, at the Meadow, they haven't won away for an entire year. If we lose at home to Reading, then I think then that really is um, a warning sign that, the, that that something may have to change. I think, um, but if we go out with playing three four three or anything vaguely resembling it, then I, you know I'm, I'm trying not for the game. On Saturday, I'm looking forward to it. We've got to go at them and we've got to beat them. If we don't, 
then okay, we'll deal with that. But I'm, I'm certainly not thinking that that all is, is is monstrously doom and gloom, although it definitely could be better. Interesting point about the tactics, and I don't know if it was a just just a comment from BBC Shropshire where they said, "Oh, we're trying a new tactic today." Well, we've played three four three with Dan Ado playing alongside Matter at front and Bayless on the right for a number of games. And I thought it was quite funny that we win a game and it's almost like Master, Matt Taylor, Masterstroke. Maybe, to be fair to BBC Shropshire, you've got like three, four hours of content, no goals, utterly shite football, and I guess they're going to try and fling clung to anything. I didn't hear that, talk Ollie, about. But the thing is, with that 3 4 3, it doesn't work. Because Ado and Matter want to be in the middle of the three. Right, Shipley wants to be on the left. Bayless can be. Oh, on the it's right. a That's lot of natural. Three. Well, well yeah. Shipley is the, Shipley is an out, out, an out old school winger, isn't he? Um, and he's and he tugs he hooks the, the line, and also he's got a nice relationship with, with Bayless as well. But that's our kind of summary of the last few weeks, Chris. What's your kind of like main takeaway summary of of, of this these runner results? Uh, so we've touched on that Derby game, and I suppose that's the one that I look back on with fondness. I mean, that was definitely the game of the season so far because it's a win against a, a you know a really really big club in Derby County, certainly at this level. And it it wasn't like it was a fluky one nil with a goal on the counter attack, and we defended our lives off. We deserved that victory. That's what really stood out in that game. We we took the game to them, and if anything. It was symptomatic again of our inability to score goals this season because we should have had three or four potentially in that game. We had the chances to, and once again, we didn't take them, but we played well. So that game was the one I left the ground thinking, yeah, we're making some progress here. And it's hard to disagree with Mike, what Mike says in terms of is it a blip? Because since then, obviously, the results have gone the wrong way. We got spanked at Barnsley, spanked against Wigan. And then Bolton, I agree with Dan. It should have, I mean, that game should have finished goalless. Uh, that was the goalkeeper error frustrates me because I, I don't, Morosi shouldn't have been on the pitch by then. He was clearly injured. That's what winds me up. Uh, he was receiving treatment about three or four minutes before that goal. You could see how much pain he was in. And I don't care if he's saying he wants to carry on. I, I just I just think the coaching staff and, you know, Chris Skip for that matter, I don't know, it just feels to me like they've got to take the decision out of his hands and take him off the pitch because he wasn't capable of carrying on properly. He limped over the next few minutes and it seemed to lift uh, Bolton. They raised their game after that injury. They suddenly came at us harder. And I was there. I was the one of us who was in the ground for that. And you could feel it in front of you. You could feel that suddenly the momentum had shifted and you could see their game plan was to fire in shots at Morosi and see just how injured he is. And it didn't take very long to find out. And unfortunately, it cost us. And then he's whipped off the pitch. Well, it's too late by then. And I can't help thinking if he had gone off when he got injured, you know, you'll know hindsight, you can't prove it, can you? But my instinct is that probably the game would have petered out into nil-nil because Bolton weren't doing that much. They hadn't done, they hadn't offered much. And while we weren't brilliant, we were containing them fairly comfortably. And I suspect it might have continued that way. So that 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 really wound me up because that would have been a big point for us. Sorry, Mike, I think you're... You yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And and sort of going back to that the Derby game you're talking about, I, I don't know if you remember, Chris, at the end of that game, because you only sit the row behind me, don't you, with your lads. I turned around and we had a very enthusiastic conversation about, right, there it is. That's the performance we were waiting for. We were good. We were positive. We took the game to a big side. We didn't let them play their football. We scored a decent goal. We were comfortable. We weren't under huge amounts of pressure. Um, and it was like the, the last thing we said to each other before we left the ground, Chris, was they have to follow this up against Barnsley. They can't just roll over and get and get drummed on the back of this because this is how we build momentum. And then to throw in a 3-0 loss, I know it was away. I know it's a difficult place to go. But we everything we did right in the Derby game, we seemed to do wrong against Barnsley. Yeah. And that um, was the frustrating thing. They can't put 
one or two results together. And, and where has that gone is the other question. You know, how could it just turn up against Bolton and then go? It's well, you said that. Starby, yeah. You said there, didn't you, Mike, that I know it was away. And that's also a problem, isn't it, right now, that we just can't travel. So until Bolton on Tuesday, we'd actually won three home games in a row. Uh, Bolton, I know, I know we lost that game, but I, I don't think we were terrible in that game. You take it in isolation. Our home form's been okay, not always spectacular, but okay. And it's if we do have any chance of staying up this season, it's clearly going to be based on results at home because right now we don't travel. And that's a, that's a big, big problem for us, isn't it? And the, what worries me a little bit more as well about especially some of the away games is they're not tending to be close anymore. When we do lose, we tend to fold. And we've, you know, we've lost by three, two or three times now. And Wigan was a defeat by two. Bolton was a defeat by two. And you look at our goal difference and it's relatively sizable, you know, and that, who knows the way this season is going, that could become significant. And right now our goal difference isn't doing us any favours. I think I don't tactically, I think, and, and Ollie, you, you, you've got a few more tactical opinions than me, I think. Um, but I'm still sat in the stand and, and you feel like you're sort of repeating yourself over and over on these pods, but I still haven't seen what it is we're supposed to be. You know, um, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a character or personality to the team. There doesn't seem to be a consistent game plan with, you know, from, as far as I can see it, when I sit and watch the town now, for the first 45 minutes, we appear to just want to try and stay in the game. We don't put a huge amount of pressure on the opposition and we try and just make sure that they can stay in a low gear and we can just get through to half time. And then after half time, we try and nick it. But actually what happens is we start getting it more expansive and we concede goals. Seems to be, to me, broadly speaking, what the pattern is of the matches that we're watching. Um, and And... It seems to me when that starts to fall down, what does he fall back on? He throws Dunkley up front or he makes maybe three or four substitutions at the same time. But it never really seems to impact anything. And I don't know if anybody's yet worked out what, what we're supposed to be seeing there. Because I still turn up on a Saturday and people are saying what we're trying to achieve. Oh, I still can't quite spot it. I don't know, Ollie, you, you might have more insight than me. I think that my little input on the Derby game, I was, I was very buoyed after the Derby game. It was a really, really good performance. Um, and I don't think 1-0 was fair. Um, I genuinely think that we we could have scored two or three and it wouldn't quite fair. Obviously, they had the obviously we had the penalty, which we didn't score. Um and for me, I remember putting on Twitter being very buoyant about the team, saying, you know, that's a marker for the season, that's the big performance, that's wanted to see the players buying into Matt Taylor's approach. Yeah, I was really, really buoyed by that. And then yeah, like you know, against Bolt against Bolton on Tuesday night, it was similar-ish football to Derby. We only really seem to have one way of playing, which is literally the Steve Cotter way, which is not many, don't put many people forward, be very conservative in terms of the number of men that go forward and play balls down the channel and hope the strikers or a winger or a fullback or whatever manage to get onto the ball and get the ball into the box. And it's quite one-dimensional. Um, and as soon as the opposition kind of figure out that's what you're doing, we seem to then struggle. Um and it's for me, if we don't have creative players in our team, even Bayless, who's you know probably arguably our best um, player in, in that kind of regard, he's had did an amazing moment against Colchester in the FA Cup, but he hasn't seen enough of it this year. And yeah, it feels like we're almost relying on individual talent, and individual talent isn't one of the strengths that we have. So, and that's why I'm quite disillusioned about, and it feels almost like we're waiting for Taylor to be sacked because if you don't score goals, you're going to lose games. And we've played 16 or 17 league games now. We've only had four clean sheets. So it's not like our defence is really that good either. Um, so it's, I'm, 
I'm very puzzled where we're going. And as Dan said, losing losing to Bolton, losing to Bar- when Barnsley away, fair enough, whatever. Losing at home to Bolton start irks people a little bit. But I thought the 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 kind of the, the reaction on online was muted. It was more of a general moan rather than a specific moan. Losing away to Wigan, they got some decent players. Yes, they're in. They've been in a mess, but they're, they're a decent team. Reading, Dan. Reading is a massive, massive game. Not only for you, for your local rivalries of your neighbours and your mates and people you work with and your friends in the area, but we've got to win on Saturday. And I, I don't. I very, very rarely say this is a must-win game. Yeah. But I no, don't. Not, not only does it need to be must-win, it's a must. Good performance as well. We have to have a performance and we have to win against bottom of the table Reading. And if we don't, Taylor is in real trouble. And I, after, you know, we, well, I've said this before on the podcast, podcast, after the Charlton game and a few decent performances, I thought that maybe there was some hope. But my hope is getting, and if we play badly and lose on Saturday, Dan, that is a terrible marker uh, for, for Matt Well, it's Taylor. a terrible marker. I, I don't really, you know, we are a lower League One club right the question is do we come a little bit above 17th or a little bit below 17th um, and and i know that might sound you know horrifically dull but um but it's where we are historically and we're again in that same position i mean the the wigan games where's women our captain committed you know suicide four minutes into the game you know and and you know that 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 really is never part of the plan we need to avoid cock-ups on Saturday we need to avoid doing things that give Reading a sniff and um, it's a front foot game a friend of mine always talks about front foot football it, you get those three up front get those the three four three or whatever he wants to call it but that's what it is um, play Kenner and Winchester in the middle sorry Chris Pe- Perry I like Perry but we, we need people who are going to win the ball that's Kenner we need people who are going to keep the ball that's Winchester and give it to those three buggers up front Drop a dough, sorry, I'm ducking, you know, play matter up front, play someone who looks like they have half an idea what they're doing. Sorry, I, I think the dough's just just really struggling at the moment. Play matter in the middle of that three, go at them. Because if we sit back and let them come at us, we're waiting to lose 1-0. I thought we'd well, give you enough stuff to get, get excited about there, Chris. Dropping the dough, <laughs> all the rest of it. But I would play matter for sure. All right, I'll, I'll come back on bit, bits of that, just, just for debate, I suppose, if you like, because uh, there's a lot there I agree with, Dan, but you've just said, uh, you know, drop Dan Udo, for example, because he's struggling. That's, by the way, a player who's scored three goals this season. We've scored eight as a team. So you've just dropped over 40% of our goals this season onto the bench. Now, yep. you might not rate him, but that's more goals than anyone else. It's so... Brian Robson effect, Chris, very quickly. Brian Robson <laughs> was the centre of Manchester United through the 1980s. They won diddly squat. Only when he was moved to one side, arguably Captain Fantastic, did United suddenly become a team of like scoring goals. I will leave that there. Back to you. Yeah, I think Alex Ferguson had recruited some talent between those in that period, though, oh, didn't he? And the Manchester United team that went on to win stuff was pretty darn good. Uh, who's coming in to score the goals in place of Danny Ludo? What superstars Matter. have we brought in? We've it's got a so, bit. Max Matter, who so far hasn't even looked like scoring a goal. But, uh, I, but I would say, but he hasn't, but does he need like to? A footballer. But does he need to? So think about England, if you're going back, so some people who are maybe 18 or younger won't really know who we're talking about, but like Emi Heskey playing for England, didn't score many goals, but the team worked around. Okay, we didn't win it, I think. But he was a he was a pivot man up front, and I get. Yeah. I, I think Matt has done okay, but somebody has to put the ball in the net. And yeah, right now, why not? Why not Bayless? Why not Shipley? Why not someone yeah, else? Sh- 
Yeah, and Shipley, me, I'll give you. Shipley, I, I, have a, I have a lot of hope for Jordan Shipley because he looked very good in that Colchester game coming back and he's only, hopefully only going to get better as he gets match fit. So I, he's he's our great hope, I think, at the moment because Bayliss, I rate him as a footballer, but he's, he's whether it's whether it's the system or what, he's not the player he was last season right now. And that's no, still no the case. And we, we're several, you know, we're months into the season and I'm yet to see Bayliss return to the player that he was last year. Because we've had Dan in my ear talking about Dan Adoe, I have been watching Dan Adoe with a bit more, I don't know, spotlight. And he's not the Dan he was two years ago nah, when he's he got not. injured. He's been knocked off the ball too easily. He's been knocked off, not off, not off the ball too much. His decision-making is good. That one season, he was phenomenal. He would turn, he'd run, and he'd do something. But in his defence, and maybe also in argument of, of in favour of Dan's argument, he probably needs a rest. Yeah, he's just come back from a year out, hasn't he? So, you know, he's played pretty much every game since then. Maybe he needs rotating out. I mean, I don't... Can we I don't rotate know. him on I'm, Tuesday, though, in a game that doesn't I'm matter? Like, we... Exactly. I'm like, I'm like Chris. I have no faith in Matt coming in and ripping the world up. And uh, I think we've all discussed Ryan Bowman to death. And the other guy's injured, isn't he? So we've only got Matt as an option. Unless... Does anyone know if Brian Robson and Emil Heskey are still available? We could get them. <laughs> and then everyone doing nothing, you know? Maybe they can help us. We up. do have another but, option. We've got Shay Dunkley, apparently. I mean, much as I geez. find oh, that as... Okay. Beyond Ludicrous. Pierre's got some form up there as well. We could put Duncan Pierre up top on Saturday, see if that gets us anything. So this is really, this is really obviously this had to come up in discussion and it has come up now. What is the thoughts that go through your head, Mike, when you see us bring on Aaron Pierre, who Sam Ricketts used to put up front, which is quite funny, and put Shay Dunkley up front? So two questions. What do you think about it? Mike's and family pod, reckon? remember? It's family pod, no noise. And what word. do you reckon? What do you reckon the team... And maybe even particularly Dunkley think about it. Well, my my thought when I see that happen is it's a real shame that the golf course is still flooded shut because I could be there instead, instead of watching us put centre half up front. It, I, I can't like because it's 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 kind of almost a football cliche. You know, the last desperate throw of the dice of the desperate manager who's run out of ideas, he chucks the big lag up front. It's Stuart Pierce putting David James up front at the end of the game. That that's what it is to me. They're not centre forwards for a reason, they're centre backs for a reason. The problem was. I mean, on the on Tuesday night, we were lobbing that ball at their massive centre-half all night. Big ball forward. He was heading it away. So instead of changing tack and maybe going along the ground or going at the channels or trying to turn him around, we just stood another big bloke next to him to make it another aerial battle. It was, I didn't, I, it was never going to change anything, that was it. So when I see that, I think, Jesus Christ, when the players see it, they must think, oh, we've run out of ideas here. We've just got to smash it forward now. Because that's clearly what the manager wants them to do. Target Dunkley straight on his head. So... It just smacks of desperation, smacks of no ideas. And um, I, I can't see anybody in the crowd thinking, great, we've lobbed up the big man. It's sort of anti-football, isn't it, Mike? It's like, yeah. it's, they used to do this 20 years ago. People don't do it anymore. And and the reason isn't because they've forgotten. It, it, I just don't see it as being effective. I see Dunkley being effective. Created, I genuinely don't think it's created It's not great anything, is it? Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about why it's happening. I, I, I'm not sure at all this is... Matt Taylor's, Taylor's genius. I, I got a feeling it might just be Dunkley saying, boss, no, I'm your man. I, I got someone, a feeling it might be. What someone, else could it be? I can't remember who it was. Someone who, like, someone, someone who was at the, one of the away games. I think it was the away game at Lake Norian when, it, when we were the first times we did it. And apparently Shay Dunkley seemed quite confused and just didn't seem very comfortable making that move. Now, it's just opinion of one fan I saw on Twitter, um, but it was quite interesting. And even, if it is, even if it is Dunkley saying that, Matt Taylor should be saying, you're all right, Shay, actually. You just carry on netting the ball away back there and kicking it away because you are by far and away 
our best defender and the one thing that's really going to keep the ball out the net in our team. We've got other options for scoring goals. Thanks, Shay. You're all right. He shouldn't be going, yeah, even if it is Shay's idea. Yeah, go on, crack on. Yeah, brilliant. Anybody else got any ideas? Do you want to play in goal, Jordan? You know, like, what is that? It's an interesting one if it is Shay's idea because one thing I think I have noticed with Taylor a few times recently is he does he does seem to be swayed by his players or he almost sometimes you get the feeling under pressure he needs to be reassured I can't remember which game it is now when Jason Shahar came off the bench you know he's another positive from the last few weeks a player who's established himself but there was a game where he came off the bench to do that where we had an injury and he only brought him on after Shea Dunkley basically went over to the sidelines and was basically ordering Taylor to bring Shrahar on. I th- I, I, I'm trying to remember the game, but that's certainly what it looked like to me watching. Uh, Shrahar was ordered onto the pitch by Dunkley almost. And then you're seeing it again on uh, against Bolton. It was Flanagan who went over and screamed at him to take off Marco Morosi. It was Flanagan who was over there saying he's got to go off. And I, I wonder if it would have even happened then if he hadn't had his senior post almost almost forcing his hand. So if that is the case, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's also got Shea Dunkley say to him, send me up top boss. Uh, I, I don't, for, for just to start, for what I don't think that's, I think we've said that 10 times now. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily Shea's idea, but I don't it know, does, for me, it shows the Flanagan There's a one. pattern that suggests it. Could. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a pattern that says that either there's indecisiveness. Now, I don't want to be mean about uh, a good a good man but maybe they didn't want to put take Mauricio off because he's, he's a very very good goalkeeper and maybe that was part of the thought process um but yeah even a very good goalkeeper is not a very good goalkeeper when he's injured and for no. me it's it's we've seen this quite a few times didn't we we've talked about body language on the first few podcasts of the season and the Flanagan Flanagan it seemed like he was he was he seemed he's very, very annoyed about it. Maybe even more annoyed. And maybe, maybe he's annoyed about other things rather than just that as well. But what's your thoughts, Mike? Well, the thing about the Morosi thing is, what's Harry Burgoyne doing there if not for that? You know, Burgoyne is, is, a, is a guy who's come from the Wolves and, you know, got some good pedigree. If he's going to be our number two goalkeeper, we've got to be able to trust him to step up when the first choice is injured. He's got to be good enough to keep goal. Uh, oh, they, they didn't have to give him a contract in the summer, did they? Exactly. They chose to do that. Therefore, there must yeah. be some faith there. So, yeah, why yeah. you've got to trust him. Is, I feel for Matt him. Taylor we have no saying, reserve team to play football yeah. in. Is Matt Taylor saying to us that Harry Burgoyne is the worst goalkeeper than Marco Morosi with a back spasm? Is that is that what we're led to believe? Is that the quality of the, the, the depth on the bench? I actually, you know, I, I've had my issues with Burgoyne in the past, but he should have clearly been on the bench, uh, on the on the pitch when, when Morosi got injured. And, you know, he might have kept that one out and we might have had a bit more confidence at the back playing the ball back to him and we could have played a bit more forward because we're not worried about conceding with an injured goalkeeper. His kicking but, was miles better than Morosi. Oh, God, he That's the one the thing that did stood out. He can actually kick a football straight. Yeah. You see that in the warm-up. He pings the ball beautifully, folks. Just yeah. watch you in the warm-up. His first kick was phenomenal. I was like, he's got a rocket on his boot or something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the thing. You know, he might not be as good a shot stopper as Marco, but maybe he's a better distributor of the ball. But if Marco's got a, a completely ruined back, he's got to be on the pitch. And I don't understand why he wasn't. And he was injured, apparently, before the game started. Which what was the situation for Saturday then, Ollie? Is, is he back? I don't know. And that's one of, the, it's one of the questions it's going to be is, it yeah, does he play? Today. It's in the press today that Morosi did not train today. So they're saying that he's an extreme doubt for Saturday. So it's probably going to be Harry Burgoyne. And I'd rather well, have if a, it is, a, I'd rather have a fit Harry Burgoyne than a crocked Marco Moroso. And there's also because if he is if he is injured, you're potentially going to trigger him getting injured for longer. And obviously, it's a, as we know, it's a very long season in League One. Um, and yeah, it's I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't seem good. And the January transfer window is coming along. 
um, it would be a, it would be a shame to to lose Marco if if he's not very happy or something's going on. But yeah, interesting times. Um, in terms of one of the questions, obviously, I don't really think it's a question. It's more of a statement. Obviously, we lack goals. Um, since the last podcast, which was the Northampton game, was the last time we did a podcast. Do you, we've talked about Derby as an outlier, but are we are we seeing improvements? Are we flatlining? What's the kind of general consensus about how we're performing at the moment? Well, we're consistently underperforming. I think that's a fair call because there is. I still have a feeling that there is more about this team than we are seeing. Now, you may say, "Well, we're seeing basically next to nothing," so that that's not that's not such a big statement, really. But I, I think people like Swaha, he's come on. He looks like a player. He looks all right. Um, I think Ken has definitely improved um, over the last six weeks. Um, I think Flanagan's having a very solid season. I mean, you're saying Shea Dunk is our best defender. Well, if, if I had to vote between him and him and Flanagan for Player of the Year type stuff, then, then Flanagan would win. I don't think he's made too many too many major mistakes. So, I mean, I, I don't improve. It might be the wrong word, but I think there are, there is green shoots there. We just got to get the right sort of circumstances now for them to grow, and that's why for me the change of shape because it is clearly a change of shape. And, and and the return of Shipley is such a big thing. I think we're going to we, we kind of go around the houses and come back to the same problem. It, it's goals, isn't it? Two goals in in five games since that the, the game, your Northampton game you're talking about. It just it's just not sustainable as a as an output. Um, and it kind of and it all all goes back to one man, doesn't it? The manager who just doesn't seem to be able to get a tune out of you know like you said like Dan saying you know Dunkley Flanagan Strahar. It's a decent baseline for a backline there. Shipley back. You know, Udo has scored goals in the past. Udo and Matt look like a decent partnership when they play together. There was something there against, um, I think they, they played together against Derby, possibly. One of the games I've seen, it's they were together, weren't they? Derby game when we played Bayless as a number 10 and we actually looked yeah. like a, a proper unit rather than playing yeah. playing two and having, yeah, having playing that that three in midfield, having just proper target at number 10, I thought really but, helped. But then that Derby game, there were things there that worked and then they weren't working quite early in the Barsley game. So he tears it all up and starts again. He he, does, he hasn't stuck with something that seemed to be positive. You know, Matter and uh, Udo should play five games in a row together. And he should just say to them, you're the guys, go and score some goals now. You can be the, 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 the striking pair. I mean, tactically, you might not be able to do that against every team that comes up. But I'd love him to just give people a bit of confidence and say, right, you're, you're in there to try and score the goals or, or give an attacking unit a consistent run to try and form some sort of partnership or some sort of understanding because because it feels quite choppy and changey sometimes as well even in games we're making lots of substitutions and seeing if we can just affect the game somehow in some way um yeah it just feels a little bit scattered in the approach for me i think that's a fair that's a fair comment mike i mean i, I do think that udo's played a significant amount of football um but the partnership point i i, I think the, the system that we play means that whatever partnership if you had a two it's just going to be starved of possession. You've got to get the ball into them in the right areas, the, the final third of the pitch. And I, I'm not sure I see a great deal of chance of that happening. So whatever that partnership is, I think if you give them 10 games and we probably have scored like, what, four goals, but five goals in that period. So I, I think the change of system is, is what's really needed. The problem with that system is I don't think there's two up front. Um, now, you, you could play two and then Bayless beyond. I get that. And we did, and it looked all right. But my natural instinct with Shipley, already sounding like a stuck record, is that the system actually doesn't have two up front anymore. It has three. And, and I don't think that, that, that Matter and Odo are in that three. Um, yeah. And it's but, we, lack, we lack some of the fundamentals of good team. We, there's no pace in that team. There's only fast in that team that can no. scare somebody on the turn. So 
we play we always play in front of the opposition's defence. And then we really seem to lack anybody who can play a, a you know a pass through two lines of players. So we're always playing in front of their midfield, and then we try and go around the outside. But our width isn't true width because we're playing centre halves and central midfielders there. So there's nobody who can dribble and go around a man. So it all comes back into the centre. It all gets very jammed up, and you've got then you end up with Bayliss or Perry trying to sort of squeeze a ball in between three or four defenders, and it just gets and it, it seems very repetitive that that we see as well. Like you know we'll nick the ball. Three of them will, will break against three or four defenders and they'll stop the ball and go backwards because they, they just simply haven't got the pass. They haven't got the the option to create a chance. And that I think that, you know, you, you can hear the crowd at the meadow, you know, every sort of groaning every time that happens. And it, and it is, it's a repeating pattern, but not the kind of repeating pattern I assume Matt Taylor's trying to put into the team. Um, and, 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 where's Fleming? What, what's wrong with Fleming? And got another I wanted it. It's interesting comments. I was just thinking, Injuries. They're, they're stacking up, and they? We've got loads of injuries. Um, and, yeah, it's funny because everyone's like the, the return of, of Chris Skitt, and it's a bit harsh maybe to point it on the physio, but we have had a lot of injuries. We've had, we've had a consistent list of, of long, long injuries, and they don't seem to be going away. And, yeah, we are missing Fleming, and we're missing a couple of players as well, which I think maybe would have helped because I don't think the plan was to play Winchester at right wing back all season, Chris. Yeah, wing backs has been a problem, hasn't it? And Dan brought up Fleming. He was in my head as he was saying that because when we've seen Fleming, he has looked like the one proper wing back we've had out there. He's looked like an option getting forward, willing to get out wide and get across in the box. And we're missing him. He is a it it is a shame that he's picked up an injury. Uh, And again, uh, that's been in the local news this week. The injuries worse than they first thought isn't it basically he was off to see a surgeon and as far you know we don't know yet but there's a chance now he'll be out for a long time and they have stacked up we've lost him we've lost ryan finnegan who's out until january you know we haven't really seen him i haven't got any clue if he's any good or not because he's barely kicked a ball we've only just got shipley coming back now we've got elliot thorpe in the squad after months out morgan feeney's been out for a while so you know the manager can point to these things and say that he's had some bad luck but he's got a big enough squad now, hasn't he, as well? One of the things that they made a big deal of in the summer was having a squad to cope with injuries, which last year we couldn't. With you know, It's interesting. I was looking at the... I get the programme every game so that my son can get the stickers and he collects those. And we look on the back of the programme and even he said to me today, our squad's massive. And you looked at the list and the Bolton squad's there and ours is about a third as long again. So we have got players now. You know, they, I, don't, I don't think we can just look to... It, use it as an excuse i think they you know we've built a squad to in theory deal with these things and they've got to deal with it better than they have done and injuries is a funny thing and i don't want to cast aspersions on anybody's professional professionalism or or you know sort of attitude in the squad but when when your backs are against the wall and things aren't going well and managers aren't getting their, their plans across clubs that seem to have that sort of thing going i think about man united at the moment all of a sudden they've got loads of injuries because I think, you know, players who don't believe in a system, if they've got a niggle, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play Gaffer. Whereas last season under Steve Cottrell, they all seemed very bought in and would run through walls for the Gaffer. There was a lot of players out there playing injured. You know, you think of Killian Phillips in his brace every week. And, you know, like there was players who, who definitely were taking knocks and running through walls. And you don't know whether, whether is the appetite there for these people to put their bodies on the line for the town or especially the loanees. I mean, they've got careers outside of Shrewsbury Town. You know, I, I just... I I I I probably believe that everybody's genuinely injured and and they're all on the treatment table for real. But like I don't know. Again, it's just a bit, a bit of a malaise around. Why have we got so many injuries all of a sudden? Well, are we that unlucky? You know. I mean, I think that's the question. Is it is it just that we're unlucky? Is it that 
you know, is it that something's going wrong in the system? I mean, I think we forget as well, other clubs do get injuries too. We always focus on our own club. No club ever has everybody fit all the time. But the thing about, you know, are they trying hard enough? Well, I've not seen any player this season who's not tried hard enough. I just think it's the shitness. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it, you know, that's the issue. And it, it's not even, that's, that's, that's unfortunate. It's not about shitness, sorry, that's the wrong phrase. It's about, you know, the, the lack of ability to, you know, to make, um, you know, make an impact, make an impact in the game. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And one question, um, one question um, for um, for everyone is where's where's Shabawale? Is is he? Is it's always funny, isn't it? And Dan, I know Dan's a big believer in this. Just because you're not in the team doesn't mean you're, you know, you're the great big hope. Sometimes players don't play in the team because they're not maybe not good enough to be in the team. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, Dan? How and obviously when you're not doing very well, fans will ask for for players to start. Oh yeah, players always improve when they're not playing. That that that's and I was very. Yeah, but very conscious of that. You drop down a dough, comes back. Does that work again? Yeah. Well, but Rizzobalade is an interesting one because I definitely saw enough that I thought, I'm, I want to find out more, but I'm not getting anything. No. It, that might be, might, it might, he might not quite be in the right place to play. But he was I, a project I, player, wasn't he? Coming from... Yeah, I, I, a bit I like, And then Benshara was... I'm sorry, was a, uh, I said his name wrong. Um, Shara was a potentially a bit of a project, but he's done really well. Um, and you've got to give players a chance to play. Um, yeah. But Shrahar's a case in point, isn't it? Just a couple of, you know, just a couple a month ago, maybe, you'd have had Shobawale ahead of him in the pecking order. He was the one who looked like he was going to break through next. And it was a bit of a surprise to see it be Shrahar. I think the game where he was starting, we were I was driving to the ground. And because we had, we knew there was an injury that day, and me and my son were talking, and we were assuming Anderson was going to play. And then out of nowhere, it was Shrahar, and he's made the place his own. And suddenly... You wonder if Feeney can even get back in the team so well as he done and so well as Flanagan done on the other side. So he's a, a great example of a player coming in and seizing that opportunity. And to me, Shrahar's the classic kind of Shrewsbury signing that we love to see as fans. He's a you know a 20-year-old, slightly unknown player who's come in and made a case for himself and hopefully will turn out to be a great player for us who will either play for us for years to come or will sell for a big fat profit, one or the other. And that's that's the kind of player we want to see as a football club. And, you know, you hope Shobawale can be the next one of those. But, yeah, right now he's having to bide his time, isn't he? And you wonder if he can't get in right now. When can he get in? Because we have no natural wing-backs and he's that's probably... That's exactly the point, Chris. What, what, what exactly yeah. is the story that's keeping him out? And it could be a rather more negative one than a positive one. I've got no idea, never met the bloke, never heard him speak. But, you know, he needs to play. And if he's not going to play now, I have no idea when he will. Well, maybe next season, but um, maybe it is a bit of a project and try and develop him. Um, or maybe next season he's back at Waterford, because, you know, I think that's the other thing. And they, they were pretty honest, weren't they? That they signed some of these players, hoping one or two of them work out and that maybe one or two of them won't. And right now, Shrahar's working and sadly for Sobawale, he's not getting his chance. Next season's an interesting one, though. Do you think he is League 2 standard or, um, you know, he's up for that? <laughs> You're just uh, preparing for League Two now, Mike. Yeah, I told you we're getting relegated. Wrexham getting promoted. We just we're just missing them. It's fine. That's the plan. Stick to the I think plan. It's saving grace at the moment, and we can review this after we've seen Reading on Saturday. Is there appear to be a number of other teams who are even worse than we are? I think that is a bit of a saving grace this season, and that's the thing that's even is more frustrating, isn't it? So League One last year was super tough. It was really intense. This year, it's not. It's really, really low quality. You've got more quality in championship. Uh, you know, as everyone knows, there's a lot of decent teams. Um, you know, Stockport County, 
of not counting the FA Cup. That's a really, really tough game that we've drawn there. Um, we're the underdogs, aren't we? How often we're the underdogs. You, yeah, as the higher league club, we're the underdogs in that game. Yeah, we are the underdogs. It's it's a it's a shit division, um, and we're not gonna we're not taking advantage of it. Question on that table. point: of the teams that we've seen play the town this season, which ones have genuinely impressed you? Because, like you say, the, the, the teams that come in and beat us aren't playing particularly well. I don't think there's nobody no. that's come blown me away. I mean, I, I can't really name one that's that's been stand out. I, I thought Oxford, Oxford looked Oxford, good. Oxford looked good, I thought. Um, and I thought That's... Barnsley passed the ball quite round well and had a striker that was miles above what we've got. We didn't we didn't make them work for that, though. That was quite an easy game for them, I think. Yeah. But but then I thought we did actually make Bolton work hard on Tuesday night until we gave it all away. Um, and that's the frustrating thing, isn't it? Is that we have seen glimmers of hope and then, yeah, we, we think we've seen green, green shoots. I can see why Stephen Edge are at the... In the top third, they're an ugly team, but they they know what they're doing. They're big, they're strong. They've got people who who understand the game. So I'm not too surprised to see they're doing well, but they ain't pretty. You know, they're not a brilliant football team. I'm sure somebody wise on this pod picked them as a dark horse. Dan, can't think who that was. Should we move on to the next agenda item? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, we've 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 talked through um, most of our discussion points that we had on the agenda today. Anything else to to add, guys, in terms of the last few games? Well, I think I think looking forward, we've got in November a run of games. I won't say any of these games are easy, and particularly given what we've been talking about over the last half hour, the way we're playing, you know, you'd be lunatic, lunatic to say that we've got an easy game coming up. But we've got games where potentially the show can be put back on the road, um, and that's important because you look at December's games. Um, I think December looks very difficult. Uh, I think we got Pompey, um, we got Wickham who are improving slowly but surely. So um, it, it could be a pretty cold December if if we don't really sort a few few wins out in November. And I don't. What we got? We got five games in November. Maybe is that right, Ollie? Five league games. Yeah, we've got a number of tough toughish league um, league one games. So we've got Reading at home on Saturday, and then we've got Blackpool away. Um, Port Vale at home, that'd be a tasty tie. Um, and then we've got on a Tuesday night again away at Exeter. Still got that Bayless missed chance in the back of my head. Um, how he didn't score that, I don't know. So, you know, you look at those results, those fixtures, sorry. Reading, you know, and Exeter are not doing very well. Port Vale, meh. Blackpool, decent side. Uh, I, I want, we need two wins out of those four, at least two wins. Yeah, we've got to get at least two wins. The two wins come at home, don't they? If you get them, yes. you, you, you've got to. <laughs> well, Exeter are not doing very well, but yeah, potentially. But we're not talking about the big one, guys, in November. Never mind all those league games. Who's excited for Warsaw in the Bristol Street Motors Trophy in a game between two sides who were already out of the competition? Who's excited for that one? Chris, Can't I've been wait. following the I've been following the cricket World Cup. It's been going on for nineteen years, and we're still in the qualifying games. You know, so you know, don't talk to me about being out of competitions. But I take your point. It is it's a slightly unimportant <laughs> game, isn't it? it? It seemed to go by this week without really being mentioned because we were too busy losing ourselves on Tuesday to really notice. But results elsewhere mean we're out of that cup. So we have to play the Warsaw game, but it doesn't matter. We could win twelve nil. We are out of that cup. So, and for me, that was one of the lowest points of the season is when we played our full strength side against Forest Green Rovers to try and get a bit of confidence and we didn't score. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah. So looking so at those, sorry, so looking at those run of games, we're playing 
only you know few only the some of the few teams who are still below us in the league playing bottom 18th and then you know 16th who are you know, above us but how many of those do you think we need to get results out of because that feels to me if we have a bad run against those like Dan saying then the, this, the fixture get very hard how, what do we need out of this for Matt Taylor to to be seen to be on the right track you know Dan saying is it is it two wins out of those four um, in those four games, I say seven points, Mike. I'd say seven points. That that would that's I would be happy for, with seven points. If we yeah. don't, I think we'll be very much in relegation zone in December. Is it make or break? Is it a make and or break the, month for, for Taylor? Really, is it? Yeah. Don't I make or break? I'd say we're getting there. It's important. It's important. I'd say we're getting there, and that's an interesting one. You know, new football structure, football board. I think it's gone. But director of football comes in, hires his first coach. Doesn't go very well. Let's be honest. It's going British shit. Next few games are really tough. And then you start getting to the semi-January transfer window. That's when the pressure really comes on. A lot of pressure is going to come on. And I think choose Saturday is is key because the fans always do play a part in this. And like the amount of, you know, doing the, the podcast and having the podcast Twitter account, you do get a bit of a temperature gauge, you know, like, but the amount of the, the little amount of engagement you get now at the moment is seriously low. Like fans are just like, as we were talking at the start of the podcast, really bored and really switched off. And it might be a bad result against Reading or and maybe even also losing to Port Vale could really trigger the fans into getting the atmosphere getting quite toxic. Um, and that then will obviously not work in, in Taylor's favour, Mike. Yeah, and that, that thing about attendances as well, when you're in the ground and they're announcing today's attendance is 6,500 and you look around and you're like, there's 4,000 people here. Which would make you think that there's 2,000 season ticket holders not there or something like that. There's people who paid for tickets that are not turning up. And that's quite a significant number. And if you can't turn that round, those people that paid for tickets this season might not pay for tickets next season. So there's a there's a big knock-on effect to that. The ground is not as full as the attendances that they're announcing at the moment. I think you can quite confidently say that. And when we had the cup game where you had to buy a ticket and they couldn't count season ticket holders, we had just over 2,000. I know they didn't bring a lot away, but... You can feel that like parking in the car park. It's very, it's much quicker to get out. You can get half. You can get empty. a drink at half time really yeah. easily. You can feel the ground is emptier and the the, the fans are. Especially so being in the West End, you really do feel it. Yeah, yeah. Is that attendance thing about season ticket holders though? Do they, do they automatic? Because I mean, yeah. I've only been to the game. Include, this year. Yeah. I, they don't, I don't think they count the spin of the gate. They count the numbers of tickets sold yeah. and the, the season ticket holders yeah. are always counted in that. So yeah, so um, yeah, I, I I agree there, Mike. It's it's not. And also, sorry, just to, just to bump in again, one quite long thing is the family stand's always completely empty now. There's hardly anybody ever in the family stand, which is where you would see the concentration of the kids and the next generation of Shrewsbury Town fans. The last two matches, it has been barely barely anybody in there. And we did have quite a, a humorous moment before we started the podcast because Chris got very animated, the most animated I think I've ever seen him, and um, because on Tuesday night we decided to do um, Children in Need and, and Pugsy Bear on a Tuesday night. Tuesday night, Pugsy Bear kids. No, the, empty, the family stand was empty and someone tried to do a Mexican wave, Chris, which didn't go down well in your books. <laughs> uh, I was gonna, to be fair, I don't think we decided. I think the BBC asked to come, didn't they? I mean, this was the official Pugsy Bear and some official BBC woman. Yeah, she tried to get a Mexican wave going around the ground, didn't she, at half time? The problem being that, one, it was a small crowd anyway, and then two, uh, 
yeah, the half the half time, the small crowd that were there, half of them were in the concourse or you know in the sovereign lounge having their posh drinks or whatever. So the ground was virtually empty, and this woman's trying to get this Mexican wave going, and it just it wasn't working for her. And she, you could see, she was getting frustrated. You know, she's obviously done this kind of thing before at Old Trafford or something where they got forty thousand fans going nuts, and here she was trying to get Shrewsbury fans to do it, and it just wasn't happening. And she was getting crossed with the Bolton fans, and the whole thing was a bit of a farce, and we were just. Uh, it, it was probably about the most entertaining thing, though, that did happen in the course of the evening, to be honest. So, I was going to say, what, watching from home and listening, I was watching it on the iPhone, and they left the audio on at half-time, so you could hear her desperately pleading with the crowd. And all I could hear, I was, I was in such a laughter in my front, and all I could hear was going, come on, it's for the kids, it's for the kids. She was desperately trying to get this um, Mexican way going, bless her. But, um, yeah, like you say, most entertaining part of it, I think. She was telling Pudsey to wave to the kids. You know, the, the family stand was ver- literally empty. You know, you could count, you could count them, and it would have taken a you know less than a minute to count everybody in the family stand at half time. So there was no kids to wave to. So yeah, it was all very bizarre. Folks, I've got a quick question for you about you. You, you raised about the thing about attendances, and and um, yeah, I think attendance is clearly you know that <laughs> they're going to go the wrong way if we carry on playing as we are, and that that's a major issue. But I, I was just sort of looking back. We've played Reading quite a few times in our history, right? But but not really much in recent years. We haven't played for 30 years in the league. And um, I, I, I've i never seen us play at the Majeski Stadium. I don't well, I assume we've never played at the Majeski Stadium. But I have seen us play at Elm Park. Um, and it was a game I'll always remember, actually. I'm not going to go into too many details, bore everyone silly. But it was the first game that we played away from home, uh, having been relegated from what was then Division 2. So it was the 1989-90 season. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was at Reading's first home game, and we drew three all. It was an entertaining encounter. I was just going to find what do you think the attendance was? I'm not sure, mate. So Reading away, it's their first home game of the season. It's August 1989. Chris, can you, can you have a random guess what the attendance might be? I don't know. No idea. Go on, Dan. Surprise me. Twenty-six thousand. No. 3,772, right? And my my point is more that we forget, like a generation ago, attendances were nowhere near as high in the lower leagues as they are now. I mean, the average attendance in League One last year was 10,116. You know, a lot of people watch football in the lower leagues and we've got used to that. Um, But it wasn't always that. It just struck me, 3,772 in August... Um, uh, watch, watch Reading and play Shrewsbury and, and I was one of them I'll leave that there guys you can do with it what you will but it did strike me as we, we take it for granted that a lot of people watch lower league football yeah. and it wasn't and you, always that way yeah, I grew up in the 90s the yeah. Sorry. no I was going to say probably the same thing Chris you think back to the attendances at the Old Meadow under Jake King and stuff you know they were three and 2000 and something yeah. I was going to say exactly that yeah. yeah throughout a lot of the 90s our average crowd was 3000 or just under but we've we built it. Let's not let it slip back, I think is the point, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And talking talking of rebuilding it, um, interesting rumours um, have come to me over the last week or so. Yeah, maybe just over a bit over a week. Um, but taking us back a little bit longer than that. So heard some rumours about potential takeovers or, or takeovers. Um, and first, I got so obviously over previous years, people talk about other local businessmen trying to buy the football club. Obviously, it's never happened. And Ron Winchley's remained as chairman and owner of the football club. But there was an interesting story, and I I did empl- get employed and 
got on my to help me uh, the journalist on this podcast Chris who very helped me turn my notes into a nice little eloquent story Chris um, but unfortunately the last minute of the, the source that shared the information asked me not to share it it was just before the shit show started hitting the fan um, so yeah interesting story earlier in the summer wasn't there Chris where there was a rumors of a What's the, how do I just describe it? A, a Nordic potential consortium of, of, of businessmen who are interested in buying the club. Yeah, Scandinavian, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was the rumour back then. Um, and then I've heard um, rumours more recently um, that there's um, talk um, with people talking to the club about potentially purchasing the club. I have heard a rumour there's quite a few clubs on the market at the moment and also quite a lot of interest in, in recent years with the Wrexham kind of been creating a bit of interest from the US and also this extra Premier League money that's coming into the league as well as I think has also got people a little bit more interested in potentially um, owning a lower league football club but at the moment I've heard uh, there's a couple of groups that are interested in buying the club one of them is a Nordic consortium and one is a, a British group or British individual I'm not sure uh, I've only heard and yeah what do you guys kind of make of that um, interesting that there's there's rumours afoot about potentially buying a club and and last weekend Chris there was um, some 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 people of Nord Nordic origin um, in the in the boardroom um, or in the at least in the in the sovereign club on last Saturday. Yeah, you and I got tweeted about that, didn't they? Didn't we by a yeah. supporter? They taught, they caught they tweet they copied in you and I and a couple of journalists as well and said that they'd heard this and I I knew this guy. He's a former sports reporter who I knew from my former life. So I messaged him and said, "Who were they?" And he sent me the names actually. And uh, yeah, and a, a, a Norwegian football manager and a Norwegian player development coach. These two guys are by the sounds of it. And he did he he wasn't saying he knew any reason why they were there, but related to the stuff you're picking up from elsewhere you want you know it sounds like they were potentially fact finding as part of this Scandinavian consortium or whatever and if that is the case it suggests that you know these things can take time but it suggests there is genuine interest there if they've gone that far that they are uh, sending delegations to come and have a look and check us out as it were in person so who knows things have to happen at some point Roland Witchley is 82 years old and I you know Whatever people think of him, I can't. I I don't think you know he's he's going to be thinking about his succession and what happens to his football club. Um, yeah, it looks maybe that's happening in the background. Well, I'm sure it is happening in the background, but it seems to be maybe further along than we realised. So it could be exciting, could be terrifying. Let's be honest. We've seen football clubs sold, and it and it all turns out to be horribly pear shaped. So yeah, let's wait and see. Yeah, there's one extreme, isn't there, where we. We sign loads of players. We fill in the corners. Um, we have a great run, and we're yeah doing fantastically well. And it continues. And we have some great owners who really care about the football club and invest in the long term. Or potentially, we have a Reading owner, a Wigan owner, a Berry owner. You know, you name it. There's a lot of these clubs that have gone gone to the wall or gone close to the wall. Uh, and this division is full of them. Um, so while it's easy to get excited about a new owner um yeah sometimes you know the grass isn't always greener um so while it's interesting to hear these rumors um yeah it'd be we need to see what actually happens and yeah fingers crossed um, whoever roland does sell the club at some point um he's you know he's he's not gonna live forever um sadly he's been, he has been a very good chairman of the club um dan is yeah something will have to happen at some point I think that's right. As Chris very rightly says, he ain't living forever. I, my, my question is always, why do people want to buy a football club? I mean, I sort of get it with Roland. He's, he's a local guy. He's made his money. 
um, and it's a local project, for want of a better term. But what what would a consortium from another country want with Shrewsbury Town? Now, what, 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 what exactly does Ryan Reynolds want with Wrexham? Now, I don't, I don't fun, I think. Fun, I think that probably is the answer because yeah, I, I don't really. Yeah, money. Let's be honest, Ryan Reynolds, the way they've done that has been magnificently it has successful been, yeah. for them. They're going to make if they were selling Wrexham today, they would sell it for you know, probably hundreds of millions and make themselves very rich people. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't but, know if it's a little bit too far, but they'd potentially at least break even on what they've put in. And also, they so the answer wedge, wedge, so watching well, the I documentary this month. They were suggesting that it was worth a lot, lot more than they'd invested into it. Now, well, they only bought it for two million, that, but, so. Yeah, they, they said they've spent 10.8 so far. That was yeah. apparently the investment they've put in, 10.8 million. And that's commanded to get them to what? Playoffs in League Two at the moment. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it's, it's a fantastic question. And that's why for me, in some ways, I'd rather have a, not, not a, it's not a boring ownership, but a, a less glamorous local businessman who likes the area and wants to invest in the community for me would be the better one. Because while it would be fantastic to go and have like the second or the top, the division from a Shrewsbury Town perspective, I would be worrying about it um, two years down the line. I'm just going to get this out there. You know, the meatballs at Reading Ikea are just phenomenal, right? If we're getting high-quality meatballs on the catering menu, then I'm open to all offers. <laughs> if, I if do want to let you know, Dan, it. it's not just Reading. You might want to try Ikeas elsewhere. They do have the same meatballs. <laughs> I have done that, Chris. I have done that. Let's leave that there, though. Maybe, maybe they could, maybe they could build an IKEA in Shrewsbury, Dan. And I think you'd probably move back, wouldn't you? Oh, maybe that. Oh, oh my God! You worry about these speculators. Maybe that's the plan. They're just going to turn the stadium into a giant IKEA, (laughs) Ollie. You want to wear there are three IKEAs in English football. No, three grounds in English football within walking distance of IKEAs. Can you name them? I'm sure you've asked us this question before. Walsall. And it shows how much I listen to you that I don't know the answer. <laughs> don't worry, Chris. I don't. Milton uh, Keynes. Milton Keynes, Dons, Bristol Rose. That's... Oh, there we go. There you go. I thank you. A man of many talents. Well, there you go. Is, 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 is that what we're classing as content nowadays? Like, <laughs> trivia. Jesus. <laughs> I think it might be time to wrap it up, lads. <laughs> I think it is time to wrap it up. Um, so, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, really appreciate um, all the interaction we have. Um, and yeah, we'll be back. We're back. I don't know when we'll be back. We never really know these days. Um, though we have um, the new CEO, Liam um, Dooley, reached out and said, you know, if you'd like to interview me for the podcast or come on the podcast, he'd be keen to do that. So we'll set that up at some point. And there is going to be a fans meeting um, in a few weeks' time, which I've been invited to. So I'll probably share some insight from that. Hopefully, we'll be talking about a Reading victory and a couple of wins. So maybe we'll come back. Uh, maybe late November, early December, certainly with a normal podcast and also try and get um, the new CEO on the on the podcast as well because um, I think that would be good to get his insight. Can I just take on the mic roll for a second, dear? If, if we've not beaten Reading and we've had two other negative results following it, we'll, we'll be on quicker. Yeah, rather, I think we'll have to come back. Stuff will be moving. That, that yeah. won't be, I think, seen as acceptable. Yeah, I think that's a, a good show. So, yeah, we'll be, we'll be back either celebrating great victories or bemoaning lack of goals um but we'll be back at some point so yeah thanks everyone for listening and thanks guys for, for joining me again on the podcast thanks chaps cheers all cheers guys here's Cummings Cummings with another chance he's done it again Jason Cummings Shrewsbury Town superstar the Shrews have come back from the brink against the European and world champions of the game